All right, hello, hello. Welcome back for another edition of our Q&A show. Uh, it is Friday, um, let's see what day it is, the 29th, Friday, May 29th. And uh, first things first, I just wanna, you know, we just had a really, really great studio class, uh, which we do every other Friday uh, in, our in the virtual studio, the virtual studio group. Uh, we got together, got to chat about a bunch of things. So if you're interested in trombone lessons, uh, on your own speed, you know, we have that virtual studio option. And uh, we're doing a Q&A today. And uh, the last thing I'll say, I, just a little bit, just house cleaning, house cleaning. Um, one more spot is left in our um, virtual jazz trombone boot camp that's happening June 15th through 19th, featuring Elliot Mason, Marshall Jilks, Ryan Keberly, James Burton, and Michael Deese. So that's going to be a lot of fun, June 15 to 19. So if you want to join that, we got one spot left for you. Let's see. Claudio says the trombone is something. He wants me to play the trombone, I think. I'm not sure. <clears throat> My Spanish is iffy at best, iffy at best. But today we're doing Q&A, so feel free to drop some questions into the chat. Really thankful for you being here today, and it's always a pleasure to connect with all of you. Uh, what's up, Will? Good to see you again. Yeah, that's a good lineup. It should be a lot of fun. It uh, should be a lot of trombone, uh, a lot of uh, jazzing, talking about a lot of different interesting things and some good different perspectives, I think, as well. So I'm excited for being able to share all of that. Um, but today we have some questions. I see this one that I pulled up to get us started from Luke Stillwell, who is a great trombonist from Chicago. Uh, been going to Elmhurst College, is going to be joining us at UNT next year as a master's student. So let's just jump right into it. So feel free to uh, drop in some questions and uh, we'll get to them as soon as we can here. And uh, let's see. So he Luke asks, what are some favorite jazz musicians, not trombone, that you find yourself trying to emulate? Um, these days, um, I'm not so sure. I guess, no, I do know actually. So <laughs> The two people that I think I most actively try to emulate in terms of maybe not exact vocabulary, but in terms of the spirit of their improvisations and the creativity, I guess, and the harmonic knowledge and the harmonic, um, what's a good way to put this, like the harmonic fluency, I guess, or harmonic adventurousness, um, something like something like that, um, is definitely Herbie Hancock and Chick Corea are kind of been two of my influences for a very long time. And um, I want to have that harmonic freedom. I don't know how else to put it other than that ability to really explore and play what's in your ear and play what you really truly are hearing and take take what somebody is playing and like be able to navigate that in conjunction with what's happening with the harm harmony of the tune you know i try to talk to my students a lot about fitting your ideas to the tune rather than playing what the tune is telling you to play um, sometimes you need to just play what the tune tells you to play but to really get to that sort of place where like Miles's second quintet was where they're playing together and it's not necessarily that they're playing only the tune. The tune is like a jumping off point. The tune is the spirit of the improvisation. It is not the only thing that's happening. I think that that's super, super important um, or at least not super important, but it's important to get to if you're aspiring to be an improviser, you know, 
like I am aspiring. That's always been my goal to be a, an improviser, not just a trombone player, you know, to have a voice, a, a voice that is recognizable in improvisation that goes beyond just sound. You know, it's like sound is the fundamental part of it. But then from there, you know, you you have to incorporate vocabulary and harmony and all of those things. So, uh, yeah, so Herbie Hancock and Chick Corea uh, are kind of definitely at the top of the list in terms of um, non-trombonists. I had a really long, I don't know if it's qualifies as an obsession really, but a, a long time of wanting to play um, music by Pat Metheny and trying to get deeper into like what that looks like and how that would function, how I could play that music on trombone. Um, there's a couple of recordings I've put up uh, of some duo versions of some Pat Metheny stuff, particularly um, Bright Size Life in particular. Um, but I just, I think again, he has this kind of synthesis of ideas. And I think it's because a lot of this comes from, there was a bunch of records that when I first started listening to jazz had all of these people on them at the same time. And they were really, um, they were really, influential like there were some records like michael brecker uh with and like herbie and pat metheny and jack d pilgrimage was one of those records the 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 quindectet so here's some more you know like people that i really transcribed which was michael brecker and joshua redmond were really influential uh back at the beginning and obviously pat metheny i said and then chick Corea and herbie hancock and then trombone players i mean that's really the truth uh clifford brown and freddie hubbard are up there as well um but really yeah i mean i don't necessarily think that i'm trying to sound like any other trombonist 100 percent. i think that it's really important to dive deep into trying to sound like a certain player for a certain amount of time in terms of studying and in terms of really getting your um ability to swing together so trying to play like curtis trying to play like jjh playing to play like slide hampton getting the vocabulary together is super super important and is a really important part of a educational regime i guess or whatever uh regiment what am i saying regime regiment um but so zane he just asked um do i transcribe a lot of piano players like bill evans I wouldn't say that I necessarily transcribe lines by Bill Evans. I've listened a lot to Bill Evans. I love how Bill Evans plays ballads. But no, I wouldn't say that I have transcribed a lot of lines by um, piano players. Um, it's more like the spirit of what they're playing. And little snippets, this and that. Little pieces of vocabulary. Um, I've mostly been focusing on freedom that's kind of the word that i've been using to describe i want to play all of the different sounds i want to play all of the different combinations of scales triads and all this stuff like i want to just be fluent to play anything that i can think up in the moment and so on trombone i think that means having a complete mastery of the instrument number one and complete mastery of shapes and harmony like i've been talking about and so I think it takes a long time to get to that point. And so I'm just trying to chip away little bit by little bit. And I'm not necessarily at this point right now um, obsessed with any particular person. I'm obsessed with things that I don't know what they are when I hear them. You know, uh, you're welcome, Zane. Thanks for thanks for hanging out for a minute. Uh, I'm focused on things that I can that chip away at that that mountain of wanting to explore all the different 
parts of harmony and all the different parts of um, music, really, and just all the different parts of wanting to have a have that mastery. So I, that's what I'm doing. I'm chipping away one one sound at a time. <clears throat> Let's see. Andrew jumped on here on Facebook. He says he was also obsessed with Pat Metheny for almost two years. Yeah, I don't know. I go through phases with Pat's music. I really like his compositions. I really like how his compositions evolve over time and he can write like long interesting things like the way up is super cool i like that um but uh yeah alex june alex june is talking about this t-shirt um butler trombones it's a it's a great company that makes carbon fiber slides and trombones they i think they retrofit some horns for carbon fiber slides and then they also do um full carbon fiber too and they're in he's in dallas somewhere so uh let's see i see this question i uh, veto i hear see your question i'm gonna get one here from instagram and then i got you so jen jen's blades music i saw your request i don't usually bring people on to do this because the, anyone on facebook won't be able to see you if i bring you on to instagram uh, says, how have you dealt with any injuries such as consequence of putting too much pressure when playing lip injury, numbness, et cetera? So a bunch of my students have had this problem. Um, you have to focus on letting the tension go, not being relaxed, but letting all the tension go and playing as normally as possible. I just take, to I just take time off the horn when I feel that way, if I can. Um, if it feels like numb or if it feels really bad. I have to take time off the horn. That's number one. Just put it down. Stop trying to play. Then when I come back, long tones, long tones, long tones, long tones, long tones, as relaxed as possible and focus on practicing the opposite of how you're playing on gigs. So for example, if you're playing a lot of quiet gigs, like in a mute, like background gigs at a restaurant or something, then when you practice, you're going to want to practice with a full sound and you're going to want to practice, you know, in a space where you can really play. And then if vice versa, if you're playing a lot of loud salsa gigs or loud big band gigs, you want to make sure that you're playing uh, with more control and soft um, in your practicing. So practice in opposites of how you're playing. So you're balancing out the loud with the soft, the hard with the easy. Um, so yeah, with injuries, you gotta take it easy. You gotta focus on staying relaxed. You can't. You just have to know that it, that that's what you're doing. Recognize that it's happening, and you're pushing against your face or whatever, and it's causing this. And you have to try to let it go and just play in a relaxed way. When I look at JJ, he looks so relaxed. When you look at Curtis, they're playing hard, but they're so relaxed, you know. Um, so that's what I'm aiming for, and that's what I would recommend for you. Is just like play with shoes, play easy stuff. Don't hurt yourself any further. You know, you got to be, you got to chill. You got to chill out. Uh, let's see. There was a question here. Hey, Gers, thanks for being here. Hey, Alex. Yeah, I'll even put you on the screen, Alex. There you go. Uh, here's Vito. Is there any specific sounds that you've been hearing recently that you like? Uh, yes, there are some sounds that I like. Uh, I've been exploring some stuff with Kenny Garrett, from Kenny Garrett, actually. So he play something that I would call, um, there's probably a better name for it. I usually call it the double harmonic scale, double harmonic minor. So basically you're taking the top part of the minor scale where it goes, like if I'm in C, like it would go G, A flat, then B, C, right? So you take that and then you do that in a, a, a whole step apart, right? 
So let me just say boo do do do. Half step, minor third. Wait. I'll have to play it on the trombone. Hang on, hang on a second. For like. Whatever you would call that scale is kind of what I've been checking out. It's like, it's kind of like two major triads, a half step apart, but it's kind of, okay, good. I hope that's helpful for you, um, Jen. Um, so uh, that scale has been interesting for me. He, I've been transcribing. I'll give you a sneak preview. I'm working on a eight trombone arrangement of one of Kenny Gare's songs called Sing a Song of Songs. And he, on his solo on there, he's playing all this stuff, this double harmonic stuff. It's like because it kind of sounds major and it kind of sounds minor. And it's just like a kind of an interesting sound. Um, so that's that's one uh, veto that I've been checking out lately. Um, another thing, the whole album, that cast of characters album that came out um Back in February, all of it was from a voicing that I stole from Chick Corea. He played it on, uh, what's that record called? They do all Bud Powell music. I forget what it's called, but it's got Wallace Roney on it and Kenny Garrett, actually. And they play, and at the very end, he plays some crazy chord, and it turned out to be D and D flat together in this crazy voicing. And so I transcribed that, and that ended up being almost all of the um, cast of characters record. And uh, so, yeah, that's a sound that I've been checking out um, a lot. So hopefully, Vito, maybe that's interesting to you. Uh, what's up, Matthew? I see you here. Um, all right, some other questions that came in on Facebook while we were over here on Instagram. Gers Gonzalez, he asked, what's your favorite study mute brand? I think he means practice mute. Um, so right now, there's I have two that I like to use. One's in the other room, so I can't go and get it. But that's a Schmute or the Schmute. Uh, that one's pretty good. And then this one I've been using. Uh, try to put it up. Can you read it? No. But uh, this is a Okura Mute, and um, I like it because it's small and it fits in the bell. And uh, it's a Japanese Mute. Nice and lightweight. It's pretty quiet, pretty free-blowing. I think the the um, Schmute is a little bit better, honestly, but the, it's way too big, so I can't take it anywhere. So for me, that's like a huge part of like why to have a practice mute is it has to be small. And uh, if it's not small, it's kind of not very useful except for at home, I guess. So at home, yeah, I try to use that. But when I go on the road, um, I use this one. Bring this one with me. So um Okira Mute. I think I'll be selling them on my website eventually. We talked about it pre-COVID, but now po like <laughs> mid-COVID, we can't get any shipments from Japan to the U.S., so um, at least that's what they told me. I don't know if he's correct, but we're going to pick it up maybe later this summer or in the fall, but that's the one that i am been using, the Okira Practice Mute, but also the Schmute is good, and uh, I like those as well. Vito, yeah. That's a that sound is kind of Balkanish. I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah, that's what it is. It's it's the top part of the harmonic minor scale in a whole step apart. You know, one of my teachers from Eastman, Clay Jenkins, used to talk about that sound all the time, uh, and he uses that a lot. It's kind of like a dominant sound. It's kind of like a minor sound. It's like it combines all these things together, and it's kind of unclear exactly what it is. But like, so basically, Kenny Garrett's playing it. He plays it uh, over E major. He's playing that like E double harmonic. So over E major, you know, 
quietly somebody's on the phone here so i'm trying to be quiet but um yeah that's what he's playing so what i played before was not correct i guess what i just played was correct but uh so it's that half step minor third half step whole step half step minor third half step uh if that makes any sense or look up the double harmonic or just go back to what i just played and that was it so e f g sharp a b c d sharp e if that makes any sense so uh, that's that. All right, looking back at Facebook, any other questions here? Not at the moment. So feel free to drop in a question if you're hanging out. Oh, look who joined us, Quincy Davis. What's up, Q? Um, we're just talking about uh, double harmonic minor, double harmonic scales here. Um, excellent. So yeah. So anyway, Okira mute, sh mutes are good. Um, this, yeah, this t-shirt, that was Butler trombones, super nice guy, cool stuff. I haven't, uh, I haven't used it too extensively, but it's a, it's a very interesting idea to have that super lightweight slide. I just, I like having a little weight in my slide, so it's not my thing, but, uh, doesn't mean it's not a, it's not cool. So feel free to drop some more questions in, uh, on the chat on Facebook or Instagram if you're just joining us, we had a question from Luke Stillwell that kicked us off talking about um, some non-trombone influences. Let me see if I missed any. Uh, going back to the very first question. So the main influence I've always talked about is uh, Duke Ellington. So having Duke Ellington and his band and Lawrence Brown and all those musicians is something that's always stuck with me for a very long time. And I go back to it again and again and again. And I just think that Duke was probably the most important composer in jazz and sent off so many people in different directions. Um, I just I don't think you can escape his influence. And I'm just a huge, huge fan of uh, Duke. And so I study his voicings a lot and study the way he orchestrates cross-sectional orchestration. And um, I, this is something about Duke that I really like in that he... He always, um, not always, but he, he changes the form of tunes that have a form already. And sometimes I think that we get so locked in to like, oh, you have to play the form um, of this tune, like exactly as it is. But he'll take a blues and then just like add a bridge or like, and it'll never come back again. Or like maybe it'll come back a little different or, you know, just being open to experimenting is something that I feel like Duke did all the time. He was like super open to trying new things and sometimes like we get so like bogged down and like hey you have to do this you have to play this scale on this chord and you have to do this on this chord and blah 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 it's like kind of silly to me you should be open jazz is about exploring it's about improvising it's about playing you know what you hear and so you have to be able to play what you hear and anyway so duke ellington another non-trombonist that i find myself trying to emulate from a musical point of view rather than from a like playing point of view for sure if i could write a melody like duke i would be happy person but uh i think you know he used to, he wrote like over three thousand compositions or something like that so I think there's a certain amount of like a volume game that comes with that to like get those super like super amazing compositions. You have to be composing a lot. It's it's a it's a muscle, you know. It's a muscle just like any other muscle, and uh, you got to work it out. So 
if you want to be a composer, start composing. That is for sure. So feel free to leave some questions on Instagram. If you're here on Instagram, I see people tuning in. Um, we already answered this question, but feel free to drop in another one, either in the question area or in the comments. I'll see it either way. Gers Gonzalez, could you play a 251 exercise example? Yes, I could. Uh, I'm not sure how helpful it'll be, but um, sure, I'll play something a simple 251, but that should be a minor two, a dominant five, and a major one in this particular case. So maybe like in C, I'm in C major. <laughs> Sometimes we get obsessed with this playing eighth notes all the time. So I try to, I'm trying to infuse my students in not only the virtual studio, but at UNT and elsewhere to try to think about triplets more and try to think about variety of rhythms because it's super important to have that variety of rhythms in your solos. Otherwise, it's boring, man. So there you go, Gers. Uh, I am working on, do I have it here? I got all the things I'm working on here on my desk. I didn't print it out again, but it's not even a desk. I said it was a desk. It's actually just a music stand. We've got dominant chord resolutions are coming up for YouTube, a major scale workout 2.0 coming up, and a book of duets coming up. So uh, that's going to be, I got a lot of stuff. I am never able to not be doing stuff, so I always have to like, to rein myself in, man. All right, I see a question here on Instagram. Let's get it pulled up on the screen from Benja Storm. Benja Storm, if I had to pick, if you had to pick a one trombonist that had what you think is the ideal jazz trombone sound, who would it be? Ooh, this is a tricky question. I don't think that that's a there's a real answer to this question, and I'm not trying to cop out on the answer, and I will answer the question, but. Um, if you had to pick one trombone, that an ideal jazz trombone sound. So I think if you have to think of like the classic jazz trombone sound, I think you would be somebody like Irby Green, for example, has like, quote unquote, a classic jazz trombone sound. But for me, whoever sounds the most like themselves is somebody that I think has the ideal jazz trombone sound in the in the realm of playing something original and developing a voice. So what I mean is like, Curtis is great because his sound is maybe not the most classic jazz trombone sound. It's not maybe as clean and clear as, I mean, it's clean, but it's maybe not quite as directional as someone like Irby Green but or even JJ, but it's like so great. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Um, so um, whoever's the most like themselves, I think. Vince Gardner sounds like himself. Chris Crenshaw sounds like himself. Elliot Mason sounds like himself. Marshall Jilks sounds like himself. Michael D sounds like himself. They all have great trombone sounds. But for me, jazz is more about that idea of like improvisation and having a voice and trans, trans, um, uh, translating your brain directly in real time, your musical ideas out into the world. So for me, like whoever can do that is the person that I wanna be like. And for me, it's whoever, you, that comes along with having an individual sound and voice. So um, all of those people I think are what I wanna emulate, which is having a recognizable 
sound and approach that uh, is built on the tradition, but has them in it in their experience, like something that can only be them, you know, Andre Hayward, Steve Davis, great, amazing sounds, great sounds for jazz. Is it like a lead trombone sound? No, it's not. But it's a great voice in jazz, if, if that makes sense. And that gets that's like what's exciting to me. Like, I, I don't, a bunch of people that all sound the same is not interesting to me. Like, I want everyone to sound different but really good within that realm of difference, you know, just like JJ and Curtis are both great, but they're not the same, you know, they're not the same, but it's still really great. Zane, I see your question. I'll get there in a second. Count J, what's up? Thanks for joining us. Ben, I hope that answers um, your question. I know I didn't really pick someone because I don't think it really exists. Like I said, I think there are certain aspects where you could say this is the best sound for this type of music, but to pick one person as the jazz trombone sound, Wycliffe Gordon has an amazing sound. It transcends, it can play over any group, any situation, but like it's not the same as Joe Alessi's sound, you know, like Joe Alessi can also fill a giant hall with sound, but it's just in a different way, you know, like, so I think developing a great sound that has the qualities of resonance, basically resonance, clarity, and, you know, fo focus is debatable. I mean, you could say that you want to have focus to your sound like Andy Martin, or you want to be a little bit less focused like Curtis, you know, or, or like, um, you know, Steve Davis doesn't have a laser sound, but it's clear and clean and beautiful. So, Take that as you will. Um, okay, so Zane, another question from Zane. Do you use multiple types of tonguing when you play fast passages? Like, do you choose what type of tonguing would you sound the best in that passage? Doodle, double, or single? Ah, this is a good question. So I like to say the rhythm out loud, and then however I would say the rhythm is how I want to um, articulate it. So if that's right, that's a combination of single tonguing, double tonguing, and doodle tonguing, and triple tonguing. So I use all of them, and I use what feel what seems like it's going to be the clearest and cleanest, and most natural, um, based on the rhythm, the register. Uh, and just by saying it. So that's what I would do. Say the rhythm. How would I say this rhythm? Whether that's single, double, triple, doodle, or some combination thereof. And I always am using like a D and a G syllable more than I'm using like a tikka 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 syllable. So it's like I said, right? And so that means to me is using against the grain. So I'm going I'm kind of imagining the slide positions and what uh, where I would need to articulate with what type of articulation. And what's going to be clean and clear. That's what I want. Clean, clear, and resonant. Um, which is not what everybody wants. And that's totally fine. Like everybody plays in their own way. But that for me, that's what I want. And that's so that's how I do it. Zane. So you got to master all of those tonguing techniques so you can use them uh, as you wish. You know, there should it should be just like I was talking about with sounds like we should be uh, having the ability to do anything. Right. So hear any sound, play any sound, 
you also want to be able to articulate in any kind of different way that you think that would sound the best and the most natural. So for me, it's that's that's what I want it to be natural and easy. So there you go, Zane. So I hope that helps. All right. So uh, if anybody has any other questions, feel free to drop them in either to the question. Oops, I flipped you guys around on Instagram. Um, either in the question box or here on Facebook where we're live. Um, one more time, I'm just, I'll just say while I'm letting anyone else drop in a question, we got one spot left in the virtual jazz trombone boot camp. That's nickfinzermusic.com slash boot camp. Just one spot left with Elliot Mason, Marshall Jilks, Ryan Caberly, James Burton, Michael Deese, uh, and myself and two TAs from UNT. Uh, there should be a lot of fun. So just one, per one slot left. Uh, where's Mr. Bailey asks another question. Technical question. Have you or, or your students ever dealt with leaking air out of the sides of your mouth while playing? Yes, that is a good question. Hey, Aaron, what's up? Love Aaron. Aaron Navizi, co-owner of the Bunker Studio on Instagram, my favorite studio in New York, uh, and a great audio engineer. Uh, let's see. So, sorry, Aaron, this probably won't be very interesting to you, but we're going to I'll talk about your question, Mr. Bailey. Uh, have you ever dealt with air leaking outside your mouth? Yes, it comes from not having um, a, one number one, the appropriate amount of air to the size of the aperture. And so the air's got to go somewhere, right? So it either backs up on you and causes tension or it starts to leak out because your chops aren't strong enough to hold it, hold the embouchure um, where it's at. So a couple things to think about are, are you trying to force too much air into a small space? Meaning if you're playing small equipment, are you adjusting the size of your aperture to make sure that the airstream fits through that mouthpiece or through that horn? So focusing that in, thinking about the airstream as like going through a straw and make sure, making sure it's the right size straw, not a giant straw for a tiny horn, you know? Uh, and then are you blowing too hard? It shouldn't, you shouldn't have to feel like you're blowing. If you, when you breathe in, your body naturally wants to let the air come out, right? So if you go like, it should come out and then you're controlling the aperture, the amount of air, the size of the airstream that are coming out. So all of that, number one, what could be a cause. You could be tired. You could be doing too many exercises that are working out the muscles here and just starts to leak out, you know. When your chops start to feel tired, um, you tend to do things that maybe are bad habits, revert to bad habits, or like put more pressure, and then like the air can't get out, so it just starts to go sideways. Um, you So anytime, basically, that this happens, it's a sign that something else is going wrong, right? So you have to make sure that all those other things are happening. Maybe... You know, it could be that the corners aren't firm enough. It could be, like I said, the airstream isn't right. It could be that you're tired. It could be that uh, you're using some kind of bad habit that is just sneaking in because you're tired, uh, any of those. So revisit the basics. Go back to the breath, keeping a relaxed breath. Keep Go back to the aperture, going back to the, you know, making sure that uh, you're really focusing uh, are my top priorities. Um, when that's happened to me, it helps to do soft long tones, really soft long tones, whisper tones, trying to focus in that aperture, get it nice and tight in terms of size, you know, and really focused. So hopefully that will help you, uh, Mr. Bailey. 
Uh, let's see. Jack Yerkes. What's the best lead or jazz trombone model for a big band? There is no one size fits all uh, jazz trombone. The kind of standard is King, as it would be like a King 2B. That kind of gives you that like classic jazz trombone lead sound. You want to you want to check that out. 2B or maybe a 3B uh, could also get the job done for you. But that doesn't mean you can't play on other things. Robin Eubanks plays lead sometimes in big bands, and he plays a big 547 Yamaha. So. It doesn't really matter. It's more about having the right sound concept and uh, applying that sound concept to the music and not worrying too much about the equipment. You just got to have the sound concept in your head and then you have to realize it through how you're playing. So the equipment is only a tool. It is not what creates the sound. So you have to create the sound. So there is no uh, magic bullet answer there. But obviously, the smaller, more focused equipment is going to help you have a smaller, more focused sound if that's what you're going for. A great example, you know, of somebody that can play kind of a range of that within a small horn is John Fedchuk. You know, he's an amazing soloist, can play all over the horn. You know, he plays at a comfortable volume when he's playing, uh, improvising. But when he plays lead in a big band, he can really lay it on you, you know. So, that's, when I, that's why I say like you have to have different sound concepts for different situations. It's not every situation is going to be the same and not every situation is going to be um, call for the same sound or articulation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All right, scrolling back through. All right, nice. Poop, poop, poop. Thank you, brown boy. A-H-N-A-F for all of the poop. Aaron Navizi again. Okay, Count J, how do you practice? Do you have a planner or practice concept? Uh, yeah, I mean, I have a routine that I try to stick with. I have some goals. I always write down my goals on like a piece of paper, whether it's just a post-it note or a, a scrap piece of paper or whatever. I try to uh, make sure that I'm setting a plan of action, you know, or else it kind of is easy to wander around. But um, for my students, I always recommend a practice journal. Um, you can find those on my website. There's a free practice journal download page, and you can just print off those pages or just use a blank um, page in a, uh, in a journal of any kind to just keep track. And I find that it's really important to find the most effective breakdown of your time. That's what I'm trying to get to with a uh, practice journal. So recording exactly what you're doing. Um, meaning like I practiced from 12.37 to 1.07, and in that time I did this. And after a month of doing that, you can look back and see like how effective was I? Was it better when I did longer sessions or shorter sessions? Was it better when I did more stuff or less stuff in each session? Um, you know, all that kind of thing. So it's definitely important to assess what your process is and then move forward with that process and try to refine it over time. So that's the most important thing is refining that process over time and uh, keeping track. So like right now, I'm playing my warm-up routine. I'm playing through these new exercises that I'm writing because I'm going to uh, record them soon for, for YouTube um, and for our virtual studio and trying to make sure to make sure everything is correct. And I'm working on, on duets and stuff, so I'm trying to make sure that those are correct and... Um, so that's part of my routine at the moment. But keep track, use a blank piece of paper, set goals for each day, each week, and uh, each month, and then you gotta check in. So um, 
there's more uh, more detailed stuff on this if you're interested more in my practice journal philosophy on YouTube. So you can go over there and check that out if you are looking for that. Rhett Sean says, hi, Nick. I see myself trying to play like Chet Baker and Roy Hargrove. Nice. Uh, obviously great, great musicians, man. And that's a super important to have some people that you want to dive deeply into. Cause sometimes I think, uh, we get a list usually from like a guest artist or from a faculty member or a teacher or whatever about like, okay, you need to transcribe this, 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 this. And you get this list of like 12 people and it's like impossible to really dig down deep, you know, and to, that's how you get the most out of transcribing. That's how you get the most out of, um, the most out of um, listening is going deep rather than wide. So I just think it's really, really important to uh, try to stick with like a small amount of people. So if you're thinking about Roy Hargrove and Chet Baker, that's amazing. Just go as deep as you can. Do like a whole album, two albums of each person so that you can play like exactly like them, do a great impression of them and then move on to the next person you know or or just stay there and just dig deep there's nothing wrong with that at all and i know you know winston marcellus talks about that a lot emulate and then create so um that is what it is count j i see your request here we're not really bringing people onto the stream uh just because they won't be able to see you on facebook so if you have a question feel free to drop it in i appreciate everybody being here today uh or we'll kind of wrap this up if nobody has any other questions, but uh, appreciate you all. And uh, we'll be back each and every Thursday and Friday. I've been doing live streams Thursday. We do a play along session. So if you're looking for a trading session, learning some tunes, we did two weeks of Wayne Shorter, some standards and stuff. So that's happening Thursdays uh, and Fridays, both at this time. So 1 p.m. Eastern, which is 12 p.m. Central, uh, 10 a.m. West Coast. Aaron wants to see my cute dog. You can hear him barking, I'm sure, in the background. I don't know if I'll be able to pull him in here, but uh, he is pretty cute. His name is Duke, and if you, you, he has an Instagram, if you're on Instagram. Sir Duke the Frenchie is his Instagram name. But, um, yeah, that's it. One spot left in the virtual Jazz Trombone Boot Camp. Sign up if you can. Uh, I would love to have you there. So thanks for being here. We'll see you next Thursday and Friday. 1 p.m. Eastern for training session, and then Friday's Q&A. Uh, good to, good to uh, virtually see you, Aaron, and uh, hopefully I'll be back to record again soon. But uh, for everyone else, have a great week, and uh, we'll see you uh, next week.